in this 168th episode. We're going for it now. Yeah. Right. In this 168th episode, entitled "It's Summer, Yippee!" Crack your bests. Times. So we've got questions on run training, training in general, efforts, uh, teammates, and recovery. Sprint triathlon pacing, road versus time trial setup. A comment and thoughts on adaptation. Welcome to our multi-sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Now in its 14th year of publishing. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by No Pins, suppliers of club, custom and aero cycling apparel. Visit nopins.com. Also supported by and sat in southforkracing.co.uk for all your biking needs, whether mountain bike, tri, sporty, e-bike, gravel, cyclocross, time trial, you name it, it's here, sort of. Visit southforkracing.co.uk. And Fourth Edge, blood profiling to test track and optimise your diet, training and recovery. Visit fourthedge.co.uk Music. Bass. Welcome to this 168th Well done, Martin. Episode. I'm Coach Joe Beer and I'm joined once again by Martin Crocker, VIP of SFR. In SFR. Afternoon. Joseph. It is a lovely afternoon. It's we beautiful. Are sit- we are sitting here in a lovely afternoon of April. Haze. In an afternoon haze. Afternoon haze. So, what's been happening? Well, luckily, the, um, the weather has decided to uh, rear its beautiful head rather than the ugly head that it has had on for the last, feels like, three years but now it's gone but we always do this every t- this time of the year don't we we always have a little a little cheeky we we get sucked into it oh, what, 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 sucked, in, what? sucked into it the, the weather going oh, oh yes because last beautiful. year we didn't have a good summer at all did we martin well but then there was snow on the ground in april wasn't there moving on oh, can we talk about our weather because we're just no. so typically british no 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 so there was uh in the past week because it's things that you see happen in sports so we had victor Campanets. Do I say that correctly? I think that's about I think that's as right. Good as so he set. Get. Yeah, probably as good as I said. So he set a new male hour record of over fifty-five kilometers. So added just over five hundred meters to Bradley Wiggins' hour record. Something else that was. Is, and that was set as altitude. That was as well, set at altitude, altitude. Yes, as opposed to Bradley Wiggins's, which was set at uh, Lee Valley. Um, which is obviously at sea level, or yeah. pretty much down near it. Interesting things, if you looked at it. I think that was the first time that somebody's broke the hour record on a non-conventional saddle. So he was on an ISM saddle. Did you notice that? Yes. I did. Well, actually, funny enough, I read a little uh, excerpt of his bike setup, and, or kit setup, I should say, just just did after you, he did, did it. Did you so. watch it? 
do you know what? I watched the last probably 10 Hour. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Which I was quick, wasn't it? Um, I think you know, he had to crack on because apparently he had the trap book for an hour. Um, and it was, I, I was just literally thumbing through through Twitter and saw um, Alex Dowsett making comments on it yeah. as he was running it through. And he was kind of shouting, it's the last, you know, it's the, the, the red zone, as they call it, into the last 10 minutes. Yeah. So yeah. I had a quick, quick look at that. I, I couldn't sit there and watch the whole hour, if no, I was honest. I watched, I watched the first part, the prep. I was very interested to see he was sipping on some Red Bull, but he was spitting it out. So he was sipping it. He was getting some kind of sugar sensation and then spitting it out. He wasn't swallowing it. But then he was drinking another kind of drink. Okay. When he came out first, he had huge bungs of what looked like, uh, I guess it's cotton wool up his mm. nose, the classic Olbersoil to, to inhale and get the lungs kind of fully opened. He was sprayed literally head to foot, which is probably an alcohol to help him deal with the heat, which is what they did way back when Chris Boardman did it in the 90s. And we're not talking champagne alcohol, are we? No, it wasn't that early. <laughs> it's a bit early, but an hour too early. <laughs> to be yeah, premature celebration. Um, he had his long aero socks that they were allowed up to halfway up his leg and he was constantly pulling them up. Halfway up his calf? Uh, sorry, halfway up his calf. Yeah, not Come halfway on. up his legs. Come on. I, I stand corrected. He had a cooling vest on. He had a towel around his neck, and he also had cooling like arms, arm socks that he sort of peeled off at the last minute to keep his core temperature down. He'd obviously warmed up at some point that we didn't see him off track, but then they want to keep the core temperature lower. It's not going to be too low, but lower. And then, interestingly, but talk like you'd like say a javelin thrower would have like a talker kind of a on his hands, on his hands. So he was gripping the bars because the bars were bare. And they were slightly thinner at the end. They're a new bar that are visible. Um, they're visible out on the net. They don't seem to be um, available as such. But he he was uh, using that. And yeah, and the um, SRM he had behind the saddle because he's not allowed to get any information. But obviously they wanted to record the information. But he did check it as he got on. He just looked under the saddle to check it was obviously recording heart rate. Was well, we went to the the track? Was it the year that we went to Manchester where? It might not actually. It might. Have, it might not have been you, but we went to to see Scott's presentation of their new bikes yeah. a few years ago, and it was held at Manchester's track, and there they had the GB track team there yeah. doing their um, one slow lap, two fast laps, and then one cool down lap, and they all had their SRMs underneath their saddles, yeah. and what they were doing was getting back into kind of the the centre of the the track, downloading it and and seeing you know yeah. basically what the what yeah. the facts and figures were. Um, and I think one of them, I think it might have been Jason Quigley, the year Jason Quigley came back into the team, yeah, yeah. Uh, had to do a, a forfeit because his his power either had the biggest drop off or or was the not the lowest, but was lower than than what he would have expected to have done. So yeah. it was it was quite yeah. interesting watching them do that and the noise generated from from kind of these flying laps when mm. it's quiet, there's no one screaming and shouting, was kind of deafening on the on the on the wooden track. Because when people brilliant. ride and then they realise, you know, he was holding, you know, sixteen point what point fours, point sixes, but he knocked out some sixteens and just below towards the end. You realise how fast that is on a track. I mean it is it is quick. So, do you know, what would that be watts wise? Did you oh. did you ever look at that? Um, I haven't. I, I, haven't, you, I, yeah. I haven't looked. I don't know whether they've published it, but it's it's got to be in the you know mid four hundreds. It's got to be upwards of, of four twenty to maybe the four fifty area. Yeah, maybe you know very slightly uh, very slightly higher. Um, but it's got to be just okay. He's aero, but he's not anything different to other people's shape. 
he's in a good position. You know, they did everything they could. He's at altitude, which does add. It does add. I'm sure somebody out there has done the calculation to work out what the distance is. But it was perfectly paced. So he definitely got the most out of himself. Whether he would do it again, whether he needs to do it again, or whether somebody will now want to have a crack at it because they thought Wiggins record was was going to be difficult and not many people probably a handful or less could actually have got it but it seems to be that they've set the president now at being at altitude, altitude yeah because he actually slept at 3000 meters in a simulated tent even though the record and where he was living was at 1800 so he was actually going above the altitude he would use in the record and then on the day and any time that he wasn't in the tent, he was then coming down to a technically to a lower level. Now, they said he was at 3000 metres. Could well have been that that was a whole house. I mean, you can you can seal houses and you can basically pump in the right mixture and the house can actually be at that 1800. But the air could be rarefied up to a 3000, which means he gets used to even thinner air. I know I say thinner air, but air with less oxygen pressure in it. So you then get used to coming off that, coming down to 1,800 and feeling like there's no great problem. It's when people go from sea level up to 1,800, what's that, 6,000 feet over there? I just can't think what it is. Whatever 1,800 times three is. I mean, it's almost it's almost 6,000 feet. It's certainly yeah. 5,000 yeah, yeah. something. That still, you would notice that. And why they do that, for those that aren't aware, is just you've got a less dense column of air. You're just under a less... Uh, pressured situation so you just move through the air quicker but you've got to balance that up with the fact that if the air is at a lower pressure you're obviously getting a less push of oxygen into the body from the outside pressure however if you get used to even thinner air you don't notice it and he was up there for three months I believe yeah it was three months so you know that's quite an amount of time for him to basically become acclimated to it and not even notice it it was good it was interesting and I again I saw a a little comment, which I think was was in jest, was Alex Dowsett um, basically contact Katusha cycling team saying, what are we doing next year around this time? Question mark. For an hour. <laughs> for an so, hour. yeah, can yeah. we book the track for an hour? Um, the other thing I noticed was, did you see the Boston Marathon came down to a sprint finish? Yes. That was, uh, you've... You've kind of got to have worked out what each other can and can't do when it starts to come yeah. down to a to a sprint finish. So Yeah, and there's not many. I mean, there's the odd marathon that comes down to it. But Boston, there's normally there's normally a clear winner. There's they've they've gapped somebody because of the nature of the course and the inclines and the declines that people tend to be able to make a move at a certain point. So um yeah, to see a sprint finish, it's just I'm sure there's other bits in sport that we've um, missed. But hey ho. The hour record goes up to 55 kilometres. Who was the last person to be up at 55 kilometres? Mm, I'm going to go with Moser. Ah, Moser never got that far. Why not? <laughs> he did some awesome records. All right. The first one was 51.151, which was I do it? remember rather well. I'm going to go with... Yeah, come on. This doesn't make Indra, very good radio. Was it was never go at it. Yeah. Rominger. So, Tony. Tony, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and then the only person that beat into the 56s was Chris Boardman. 
Never 56.375. Never heard of him. <laughs> heard of him. Yeah. Imagine 56.375. That's another 1.6375. So over a mile an hour faster again. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's yeah. pretty impressive. Which was, I think the data was... Four, I'm going to say 440 watts. I think it was. I think it was measured, or they knew wow. what it would be. Yeah. But the technology wasn't as good as it is now. Clearly, that was uh, 1996, because he did the hour record on the conventional bike in just before 2000, I believe. It was, oh right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite. Yeah. You know, it's it stayed there, and then it's they changed the rules, and then the few people have come back. There was that big start with Jens Voigt. There was that big push for loads of people to have a go at the record because they reestablish it as a bike that would basically be a standard track bike. But now it's gone up to altitude. I think it's kind of yeah. That's the that's the only thing. Would it be I worth having a sea level one an altitude? Yeah, they tried to make the they tried to make or or not a significant altitude. It could be within the first I don't know five hundred meters or so where there's not a gain. But to sort of standardise the bike and then to let people crack it altitude means well then there's probably a good chance other people are going to have to go to altitude unless yeah. there's changes in technology that allow them to get that half a kilometre back because there can't be many people looking at that thinking oh that's doable. Hmm. And for a short while, you only get a bit of um, get a bit of publicity. I want to give some feedback. Go on. This is from Dave, who we've answered a question for Dave. And he just said, hi, Joe and Crocker. And I didn't add the and Crocker. He did mention you, okay? Just finished listening to the latest podcast. I don't think that was number 168, by the way. All right. Well, I hope not. Thanks for taking the time to answer my question. Sometimes the simplest advice or just a bit of reassurance is all we need. Take care and thanks again, Dave. That's the way. That's the way. Thank you, Dave. So, questions. I'm going to start from Tom Groot. And this came in via email through coachdobeer.com. And he does 10Ks, bike rides, stuff like that. And he says, hello, Joe. I've had a question about run training. I'm a 44-year-old man from Holland. I did track and field in my 20s. Because of injuries, started cycling for duathlon in the last two years. Uh, I do draft, I do sorry I do triathlon Olympic distance and half Ironman. My swim is weak, but I improve every month. I suffer from injuries, especially running. I think my problem is a big engine, but with weak legs. When I do threshold training, I run very easy under four minutes. But this is also the problem. I think. Can I skip all the running intervals and only do zone one and two training and stay injury free because of the less pounding? Can I do the intervals instead on the bike? Thank you. Bye, Tom Groot. So, he's he's 44. So, you're not old, old. And there comes a point where some people, it's very difficult. You think runners in their 60s, there's a lot of difficulties with the body getting slightly weaker. Okay. And it being, you know, 60s is a good age for people to be competing. There are plenty of people. Oh, I know such and such that can do it. Yeah, but they're the rarity. Mm. There's plenty of people in the 20s and 30s. And part, I think, of endurance sport is the rate of attrition is down to who doesn't get injured. And it does seem to be that certainly, I think, you know, he's partly answered his question when he says, um, big engine but weak legs. So it's like strength train. Just strength train. Make sure you're doing safe but very meticulous year-round strength training it can be at home with some weights just stuff to do it can be in the gym when you say about threshold training i run a very i run very easy under four minutes so that's that's pretty good uh but you said can i skip all the running intervals and do zone one and two and i assume you're talking about 
Garmin 1 and 2, which would be what physiologically we'd call zone 1 or base work, certainly below threshold, and then not do threshold running. Uh, I kind of think a little bit of me says yes, but you've still got to be able to cope with that running because you don't want to do competitions and every competition your body's pushed into doing something it hasn't done. But I think you get yourself used to doing strength intervals. I treadmill on an incline or even a, a grassy or even a dirt track slope and actually don't try and run fast, but run sort of harder work going uphill. That means firstly that you aren't pounding as much importantly don't run back down really fast because that will be the pounding bit and then you'll get certainly quad issues with hitting the floor hard so you go up this incline you always want to go back down a slightly lesser slope to easy back down you're then lifting your body weight uphill so you work on strength you're not trying to run fast because be it triathlon or duathlon you can run so much faster in training than you ever move in the race there's a lot of people that are certainly going too fast and it doesn't necessarily help their triathlons. If you do too much fast running, it doesn't make you ever faster. You need to do enough. And I like people to do this incline running and then they don't get so injured, but a small amount. I was going to say to you, how would multi-surface running, would that help? As in on a different surface rather than, you know, asphalt or... Um, Maybe. Yeah, we don't, you we know, don't so know. Like you said, grass grass running as well yeah. um but I, I think sometimes you get to a point where prevention is better than cure mm. so you've almost got to let your body kind of repair yeah because it suffers then... from injuries especially for running so it's like okay what causes injuries and as much as that sounds like a pretty simple thing you can pinpoint it down often to the surfaces it can be how long people try and last out a pair of running shoes yeah it can be sometimes back-to-back running Instead of leaving it maybe for a couple of days, I like people, if they can do it, to do a double run day, if they've got the time to do a morning run, an evening run, and that can be their long run is split in half. Also, it means for that day, they're only a runner. So they wouldn't do a run before that day and they wouldn't do a run after it. And it gets them used to that that sort of... I don't think the pounding is what causes it. I think it's the nature of it. Like you say, the surfaces um, could be it's just going too quick and it kind of says here kind of skip all the interval run and just do one and two running and stay injury free i think zone one i.e below 80 percent max base training aerobic training call it what you will i've always found people come back to me and i've never said it to them but they say it to me i'm not getting as injured as much i don't say do zone one you won't be injured because there's always the possibility but they come back and say i've never been this consistent and your run speed is not down to how many miles you've done that can be a case of how much your strength endurance can last through a race but if your triathlete duathlete, athlete he's doing olympic distance albeit some half ironmans okay he needs to be able to take 13 miles worth of running but 13 miles when you look at it compared to your best half marathon you don't need to be in your best run shape almost on the edge of breaking apart you've got to go back to how do you help your running by being strong on the bike. And one of the things that he says in his comments is about, you know, weak legs. Well, help your running by getting stronger on the bike. And I would advocate over-geared inclines where you're working at like 60 revs, just pushing a very big gear to get your legs strong. 
and doing these inclines up a very slight hill and don't do too much of that just a bit because you i think the only thing about zone one training it doesn't teach you where your race pace is and that's really important otherwise people can say well i feel really fit but i completely got the pace wrong so maybe you need to do some faster running just to find out where that sweet spot is because if you go too fast running you have to slow down massively if you do it on the bike you can ease off and still be going quickly but with running there's a very fine line between going pop and not going pop because i was going to say also do you think this seems to be the the most common problem where people people are trying to fit quite a bit into a short amount of time Hmm. so trying trying to get the quality over quantity etc etc but the fundamentals are if you are injury prone and, and there are more you know there are athletes that seem to be constantly injured mm. and it's oh my body's let me down again but if you take it back to its its simplest form is it the body letting you down or is it the body that is actually broken because of what you are doing mm. before mm. it breaks down so the, the zone one issue 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 is probably the wrong way to put it but Maybe people should be looking more at how they are training yeah. rather than yeah. why, you know, what, rather than dealing with the injury when it turns yeah. up. Yeah. So, you know, there, there must be a constant cycle. There must be a constant thing that mm. irritates and, and brings this on. And normally you get people going, oh, it's always when I start to do the hard stuff. Mm. It's like, well, what have you done before that? That, that that's, that's enabled this to happen. And it's either not looking after yourself, not recovering properly trying to do too much in, in a little time, trying to do, oh, I'll do four days because I know I've got another four days off. Mm. You know, that's only going to lead to trouble anyway because thinking you're going to lose four days. Yeah. So in the zone one, I think, with the running especially, and like you said, staying on top of your riding then yeah. brings your riding on a bit better as well. And with, with zone one, doesn't matter where you are, you could be plodding along doing 60% heart rate. Running, that's going to be difficult for a lot of people. They just can't move efficiently enough they're like i'm always in mid zone one i'm always at you know 70 percent, trying to stay below 80 percent. efficient runners can stay at lower heart rates if you don't rush into the session because you're just concentrating on being time on your feet i think importantly it means you allow yourself to to warm up injuries may come from watching yourself on strava and thinking well every second counts you go out the door and you go up to speed quickly you may still stay in zone one but you've been changing and your heart rate's been bouncing around at, you know, 70, 80. You flick the watch by the front door, out you go. And in a matter of less than 60 seconds, it's now working at, say, 140. But although the heart rate's gone up, not double, it's gone from 80 to, say, 140, you've been moving around the house at, like, 100 calories an hour, maybe. Now you're running at 700 calories an hour. You've gone up sevenfold in the first 60 seconds. So what happens is... It's not so much the muscles can't do it because we've had that like evolutionary capacity to go quickly, but not to do that as the start of a session. It's almost like I've like started at runs, almost doing like sidesteps like you do in football and do like a few hip hip flicks and things like that just to like get yourself moving and into the session, not go click, right, start running, what pace, what pace, what pace. That is where I think injury comes because your body will let you do it and it will get you through that because it thinks you're being chased by something. But what you don't notice is the micro damage that that causes people i think are far too quick to get up to speed and that seems to be where a lot of injuries you know there isn't a warm-up process it's not walk jog run stop a bit walk jog run 
they they almost go straight into a run like that. And then there's also the the, the fact the factor that you get a niggle, and you call it a niggle because you're like, oh, I won't do you know I won't do my running session tomorrow. Um, you put it off the next day, which is a good idea. But then you do the running session, you go oh, that niggle kind of still is mm. quite tender, mm. still quite sore. There's a reason for it, you know, it kind of, you need to take it back to its purest kind of form and just go, right, I need to fix the body or allow the body to mend or get it looked at, you know, physio, massage, et cetera, et cetera, rather than just keep bashing on and bashing on. I know it's easier said than done. We all do it. Um, but at some point, you know, you've got to take it back to its purest form and go, right, something's not right. It happens every year, around about this time. I get a niggly injury. It's always my calf. It's always my foot. It's always my lower back, hamstring. Something fundamentally is wrong. Mm. So try changing. Changing doesn't mean that you automatically have then got to go, oh, well, I won't be as fast at this time of year. Mm. doesn't matter if if your A race isn't until another three months. doesn't matter. Mm. Just get get the things in the winter that you should have sorted out, sorted. And if they're, they're not sorted by the start of your training block, then mm. if you've got to do it kind of quarter way in, it's better than do it quarter way in, then halfway or almost three quarters of the way in. So. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> just to finish up, Tom, I would say make sure if you notice injuries to get somebody to sort of have a look at, is it your calves, is it your back, is it, is, it, is it your posture, is it that you need a massage? You know, injuries don't come on their own. You do have to have some kind of body work and yeah, I know that's along with the expense of your um, or expense, I should say, of your bike equipment and race entries and sports nutrition, etc. But keeping your body in good working order by somebody looking at you going, oh, you're getting this because and they don't need to necessarily do huge amounts. It's not stopping you, but you just tend to get them niggle. And I've always thought that. You know, deep water running when you can't really run properly, yeah, making ridiculous. sure you get massage, making sure somebody checks you over. Because there's more chance when you get into your 40s, 50s and 60s that it's down to the chassis. The aerobic capacity is, it's been there. It's possibly been there for, you know, more than a decade. So your aerobic ability is there, but you're starting to get these issues with the chassis just not being in good working order. And that comes back to strength training as well. So strength, good body work. And uh, yeah, and as Crocker said, don't don't be scared to kind of alter what you do, because a plan is only the best laid plans. You always have to move it around a bit. So, and I think this is Dave that we talked about earlier, because I think it's the same Dave, but I'm not sure. But anyway, this is a question from Dave, and he says, first I want to thank you and Crocker, aka Martin, for your for all your work you do on the podcast. I've been listening for almost a year now and want to think it's made me a better cyclist if not at least a smarter one last year I completed my first time trial series and got third in my age group of 50 to 60 it is a road it is a road class so you race in a regular road bike no error bits the series starts again uh, May 2nd 2019 and I've been doing weight training since January along with bike training I'm on my week 9 and on week 11 I have a week off I want to go to do a simulation race before the start of the season when should I do this would that week i have off from weight training be good or should i just give my body rest and i do it closer to the event i've been mixing in slow zone one rides with some high intensity sessions trying to make my body adapt again the winter was slow long rides but i live in florida and it's starting to warm up again i'm trying to be smart about training so any advice you can give would be appreciated so 
I think this transition phase, which is quite common April into May for people, you know, they're coming out of winter, they're thinking about racing, what should I do? And I think it's always don't try and hit the first one as though it's got to be the most amazing statement of intent. So just, I call them friendlies, you know, start doing some races in a sense as a friendly as they get all the kit together, start the process of seeing where you're at. Unless you've done a lot of high intensity intervals and been burning matches to get ready for the first races, you've got you've got to watch bringing on form too quickly. So you've been doing the right things. I think you need to keep the weight training up as you race, but just keep it away from the time trials. And often I'll get people to do it the day after their time trial because they do the time trial. The next time trial is going to be, I say, 10 days later. Okay, so the soonest opportunity we've got to do weights before that time trial gets in the way is the next day. Oh, but I've done a time trial. Yeah, but you're still able to do strength training. The time trial won't leave you. You know, if you're doing certainly nothing, I mean, nothing absolutely bonkers like, yeah, you do a 12-hour time trial. You don't want somebody to try and go in the gym the next day and do a uh, do a weight training session. But for most time trialists, the day after or the, the, the second day after is a good time to get back in and say, okay, this is my harder work to keep strong not to drop it and say oh I'm doing my my racing now I don't want to do the strength training I think you do it but you don't do it too close to events and if you're doing a series and you know it was your first time trial series you've probably got a lot of your gains already in place but just don't compare every single ride with every single other ride because you can start to perhaps have bad weather scenarios, your form isn't quite where it is, but you know you're fitter, but your form isn't quite ready. So don't outthink yourself by thinking, oh, first first one last year, I was quicker than this, this and this. I think you just have to let form and race experience build. And if you're really into your time trialing, even on road bike scenarios, really think about your equipment, clothing, helmet, etc really being able to hold a good position and not have to get out of position and just let the season come to you don't try and hit it full bore at the beginning because it's so mentally hard to get back into doing a full race where you say I definitely race that but you still don't expect peak form to hit on the first race and then just decline because that's the worst season ever to just be declining over the next series of months now that's what I suppose Joe would look at the would look at the preparation and the performance side of it from your physical kind of wellness whereas I'd be looking at things like bike setup Mm. you know what am I running tire wise Mm. even pressure like you said helmets looking then looking at the kit but there's nothing worse than the first one is always dreadful regardless when you do your friendlies in Mm. inverted commas when you just go I haven't felt that bad on a bike for a long time but that's kind of out the way it only gets better fingers crossed it only gets better and you yeah. get faster it doesn't get any easier it never does that's unfortunately just the way sport is no just it can be, take less time yeah so you you're kind of that first friendly or two friendlies you're probably going oh i'm massively undergun with this i'm not prepared for it but that's the way you've got to be if you come in all singing all dancing pitching your first first race best time you've ever done you've yeah. got you've got nowhere to go really have yeah. you from well from unless there. you're at such a good level i had a text from a guy last night and i've put it out on Twitter, so if you look, uh, it would have been a, a, a tweet April the 19th. And this chap did his first 10 mile TT, he's been doing some track riding, but you know, he blew his, blew his PB away for 10 miles. And he was just like, wow, wow, wow. But we know there's more to come, and we haven't been bringing his form on. He's just better. He came here, he had an aero fit. He's just 
stronger, he's more aerobically trained and he kind of gets the bigger picture. But it's not like, well, yeah, that's our that's our A race done now and that's it. It's more a case of, blimey. And his second text this morning was, I'm still in disbelief. I cannot believe that. And he was like having to look at the file to check that, you know, the timekeeper hadn't made some huge mistake and he'd like, you know, mysteriously been a minute slower than what he actually was. And that that's nice when people... Another chap said, oh, I've just got an accidental half marathon PB. You know, it's like, don't go out and always think you're going to get it. Just apply yourself in the best way you can for that period of time. And like you said, you just sort of like attention to detail, enjoy it, and then just see what you get back. And bit by bit form, especially with time trialing, comes on. You just get used to squeezing out a few watts. Often, if you haven't done too much prep, you can squeeze out certainly five, maybe 10% more as you build through the season. And that makes sense for most people because the better conditions would tend to, I'm not going to say the worst conditions are now, there's already been some warm and okay days, but you don't want to think that it's just going to be harder and harder to produce something that you spent eight weeks hammering yourself on the turbo to hit the first one, you know, in, in Dave's case, the first one of his series, absolutely flying. Yeah. Only to sort of say, I don't think I can do that again. I've spent so long like tuning myself and now I don't know where I'm going to go from this point so to be able to um I think maybe just play the long game you know it's a bit different with time trying perhaps to those that are triathletes that have maybe one two three key races you kind of know when your key race is sometimes time trialists have to take the opportunity to go blimey I'm in pretty good form this course is pretty good it might just be a course best it could be a life best if this all goes well and you have diff- you know you have your lifetime best you maybe have um seasons bests course bests maybe you know those that ride aero bikes versus road bikes there's different ways of just having bests rather than an absolute number and if you're um somebody sent yesterday and it wasn't their all-time best but they said oh i've just got a course best on my local course great okay we know you're in the right ballpark but it's not trying to bring that on too soon. And particularly as he mentions the word series, to me, is the person that can be consistently doing it and making incremental improvements than the person that has two, maybe three flyers and then starts really going into, into problems. And I think especially, Dave, you know, keep that base work going. The biggest issue with time trials is those that cut back on base training in the season and say, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to do any, you know, two or three hour steady state rides. They've got to be easy. And because you're fit in the season, they will be easy. But importantly, they allow you to recover and get quicker, not doing more and more speed work intervals in between your races. That will burn the candle too quickly. That's the thing. I, I quite, I do like time trialing because even if you have a bad week, busy week where you've, you've raced on the, we've, we've got a local series down, it's Thursday. So even oh, if do you mean the Bishop's Taunton World Championship? Yeah, that's it, the World Championships there. So if we race on a Thursday, you could probably get to Sunday and go, well, you know, I haven't really done a lot. So go for a nice ride on Sunday. Then all of a sudden work takes over and you can't do anything until the following Thursday. Actually, it's not a bad thing because no. you go flat chat on the Thursday and go, oh, actually, I kind of went all right there. Yeah. And if you you then panic a little bit because you need to do a bit more training and you can't do it, work gets in the way, life gets in the way. That's why time trialing that consistent series actually is, yeah. is, is yeah. pretty good for you just riding a bike, just getting out and riding a bike and going as hard as you can. And the amount of people that I speak to, oh, I haven't really done enough training to go down the time trials. So it's the best best way to get fitter yeah. if you push for time is to get down to the time trial. Do yeah. it on a Thursday, Tuesday, Monday, Sunday 
afternoon and just keep racing just race yourself fit if you yeah. are really pushed for time because what you get which you don't get in the same sense as maybe you know sitting on uh zwift <laughs> no zwift or going you know going and trying to smash out your own um strava segments is you have a, a camaraderie in time trials same as you do in you know park runs or any event where there's other people that are doing it you are racing others but in a sense you can't do anything about their performance anyway it's it's interesting to turn up to the same venue when it's not the actual event and still try and race and i've done it to see what's like and it's really difficult because you haven't you haven't had the same you can have almost everything in terms of nutritional build-up with your caffeine gels and your warm-up and everything and being the same kind of place but it's not quite the same. So utilize those series events and your local uh, time trial series or your local bike shop that runs a time trial and actually use that to feed off the camaraderie to get you doing it. Because there isn't there isn't a massive pecking order that somehow you're going to be laughed out of the HQ because you aren't as fast as you thought you were. It's actually other people for the most part, all struggling to get back to their best rides. Not everyone turns up and every week gets quicker. By definition, that's impossible. Otherwise, you just became quicker and quicker and quicker. And you'd be like, oh, somebody's just done it in two seconds. Yeah, oh, wow. got that before you started. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, Dave, stick to it. Good prep. Keep your weights going, your base going, and get back to us on how you're doing a few races into the series. Yeah, good work. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Richard. So Richard's got a question. And Martin is going to be the narrator. He says, uh, morning, guys. Forgot to say I listened to the podcast and really enjoyed it. Uh, great work. Been sticking to the zone two. Is doing... that our podcast he's talking about? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> is this sent? Is it... Yeah, yeah sent through. Um, been sticking to the zone two, doing three weeks, eight to 12 hours, one week, three to four hours. Just been playing with cadence and a few short sprints that aren't long enough to make me pass the 80%. Time will tell whether it works for me, but it's being nice to spend more time looking at the scenery than the stem quick question if you don't mind best session when it's time to increase intensity for mainly 10 mile time trials longer threshold intervals or shorter vo2 or both thinking two interval sessions a week from early mid-march so cheers rich well done, rich was to the point yeah that's what you need and we're you know we've had a question and it's a bit later now it took a while to get this podcast there's another podcast coming out just before this one so you will have heard the one from London and then this one so there's been a bit of a delay but I don't think what you do is is as important as how well you think you're responding to it and the different terminology between you know longer threshold intervals short vo2 you know there's 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 terminologies as to well, what do you mean by that and I would typically say that I suppose in order to get good at a 10-mile time trial, often it's a case that you're working below and above your lactate build-up area. So you have to be able to mentally be able to push that hard. You can't just stay at threshold because there'll be headwinds where you're now going too slow. You have to push into the red because it's the headwind, which is the slowest part of the course. With a tailwind, any Muppet can go fast, but have you left enough for the headwind component? If you get a headwind from the start, then you just treat it, you know, let's assume it's five miles out and five miles back. If there's a headwind from the start, well, you treat it like a five-mile TT. And the greater that headwind, the more that you absolutely empty yourself. Because anyone at the turn can come flying back with a tailwind. 
that also means that you have to go into the red straight away, which means that you, you have to have done some kind of preparation. And threshold intervals just get you good at riding at an effort that you can do for an hour. So they're, they're good preparation to start you working in that area. But actually, you need stuff that I would be looking at sort of four-minute blocks at around 10-mile time trial effort to get used to what is still in the red you are in the red in a 10 mile time trial by definition you're doing it for you know 20 to 30 minutes so you can be in a lactate build-up situation many times throughout that period and the key is is working out where you need to be in the red and where you need to recover but also i think there's those other ones where you you absolutely go beyond the red zone but if you've is got there a place beyond the red beyond zone? Beyond the red zone, yeah. Mm, well, what I mean me. by that is the bits where if I take somebody's power within a time trial, they'll always be the better rides is when they've been able to do more time above the average, i.e. they think they can do 300 watts, but they've spent minutes worth accumulated in the 320, 340, 360 area. And as your form comes on, you get better at being able to do that. And then correspondingly, okay, if the average has only just gone up a bit, there must be a bit that's below the average because you've got to somehow be doing some less power and lots of people don't realize that it's easy to ride fast at certain parts of the course it's the people that can ride hard in the hardest parts of the course that will be slowing down least if you go up an incline and it's rough that has got to be possibly your hardest effort of the ride because it's rough and it's an incline you're going to slow down the greatest if you're coming back down that slope lots of people can all come down there very fast that's easy to do so I think you're probably right in doing work that gets you often in February, March, some people like to do threshold work just to get tolerance to working at slightly higher power. Once you get into the season, as as we alluded to earlier, sometimes if you're doing one a week and then maybe another perhaps group ride with some interval work in or just over geared hard work, you may not need to do this second hard work. You start doing two hard interval sessions and a 10 mile TT you're actually going to burn out. You're not going to be able to do three week after week after week. You'll bring your form on quickly, but you'll, as we use the the sort of terminology, you'll be burning matches in those interval sessions that's not going to bring on anything extra. It's amazing how one and sometimes two bits of hard work a week Brings are on enough, more than enough. fatigue. Yeah, more than enough. So the classic ones would be using races to bring form on so that the hard bits are when you do some of your harder efforts which is, for most people, a lot more enticing to do it in a race and say, right, well, I've worked out the hard bits of that incline, that bit into the headwind, that rough bit, and that bit trying to come back out of the turn because it's always slow. And then you work out the bits you go really, really hard, and then the other bits you work out how you can just ride fast. And there's a difference there. People think fast and hard are the same things. You can be doing some of your hardest efforts but actually going quite slow. You go down a hill, lots of people can go fast, and you're not trying. We, we always use the term free speed. Yeah. I think you kind yeah. of like the downhill parts where you don't actually have to put a lot of effort in to, to have a, quite yeah. a bit of gain. But also, I used to find that over and unders used to work. So going over your threshold yeah. for a set amount of time. Yeah. Then coming back down underneath yeah. and holding that. Yeah. And then going back up over constantly, kind yeah. of up and down. Only and down. when you haven't got races to simulate yes. that anyway. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it is... It is once you're in that threshold area, you're in zone two, potentially with hard work in zone three. It is still coming out of the bank. 
And lots of amateurs find that 90-10, so nine-tenths of their week, has to be aerobic training. So you start doing an interval session and a race, and that might combine to give you 40 minutes worth of, of, of time. That's quite a lot of hard work. And what you don't want to do is have that almost build up to accumulate less good races. The whole point is just do enough to stimulate, get to the next race, and be able to push a bit harder. That's it. Don't leave, don't leave it on the indoor trainer. You don't want leave to leave it, it, leave it on the, the, the timing board at your local TT or the national champs. That's what you want to be doing. Okay. Thanks, Rich. Any interludes? Um, nothing that I have seen recently as far as kind of tech or um, updates as, as, you know, to existing apart from things like, you know, the SRAM AXS or Axis is coming into play a fair bit now. So that's SRAM Red and Force. So wireless shifting on the road, one by, two by. Uh, the same with the mountain bike stuff or wireless shifting. It's always been about, like ETAP has been about for, for quite a while, but this is, you know, 12 speed yeah. bits and bobs. Um, 12 speed, eh? Wow. Yeah. And Rotor got 13 speed. 13 like. speed as well. Yeah. Wow. So, you know. This- is that is that in both cases deliberately geared towards, geared? <laughs> so I did there. Um, is it is it a one by scenario, i.e., just a single chain set? Is that where they're trying to go with it mostly? I think the thirteen speed is, but yeah. the twelve speed is is either either, right? Pretty much because they're they're allowing they're going to use rear mechs that will allow you to use a bigger cassette on the back for the one by system. Yeah. So, you know, or or be able to swap the mountain bike shifting in cassettes and rear mechs with the road shifting to allow for gravel cross. Wow! So, you know, that kind of technology actually is pretty exciting. Um, other stuff that that we've seen is is kind of just improvements on i think there's going to be a bit more of a a jump next year right i think we might say this every year but um i think there'll be a bit more of a jump in 2020 with certain technology whether it be aero something needs to change now don't they it needs to change for the next big jump on yeah whether that be the uci allowing certain law changes whether with clothing equipment what like clown weights. bikes where the wheels blow off and that's the, right yeah, yeah, yeah. and the doors fall off um no handlebars that'd be oh, really yeah. Yeah. uh so so yeah that kind of thing is everything else now is is kind of settled quite settled so everybody's either going oh it's a bit boring because there's nothing else coming out but there's slow tweaks that have started to come through that people have noticed but nothing of of any kind Which, of and there's obviously forward. general on, on on bike situations there's obviously the move towards Discs, which is the big industry push, yeah. and e-road bikes, which will be this year and next year the big sort of push, and I guess also the, I have to say it, the sort of electronics being um, not so widespread, but electronic shifting not being seen as something that's so exotic, but ultimately we're going for bikes where we'll be looking at discs, wider tyres hydraulics on the discs hmm. and ultimately bikes that are a bit different to classical road type setups and with gravel you've got the, all the in-betweenies and you've got so many different evolutions but there isn't a lot more that you can do that can't already be done no well that's the thing you know there's there's no giant leap forward like, like run shoes yeah you know, i mean run shoes haven't really made a big difference there's some quite um you know funky nike ones and other people's that make slight differences to rebound technology but it's almost like we've innovated to a point where there's 
there's only a few scrapings to be had people finding a few grams here a few watts here a few you know less grams on this football boot or this you know running shoe whatever it's almost like they've got to the not even the marginal gains got to such diminishing returns you've almost got to go and say maybe get back to the basics look at your standard turnover of things like it's great to have super fast running shoes but how often do you actually like re uh, not recycling but like um taking your training shoes and getting another pair of boring training shoes for your training instead of missing the point that somebody can be in really old training shoes but all their money's gone on these fancy fast running shoes and it's actually back to the basics and the consistency your chain on your bike your really good goggles for open water your wetsuit sorted your you know stuff that's like bread and butter and of course that gets forgotten generally the bread and butter stuff is what gives you the 90% of your training the 10% which would be high intensity stuff and you know your direct drive trainer and your in your indoor you know what's it called endless pool or yeah. all, all that sort of esoteric stuff it's okay but it's for most people don't get bedazzled by the super high-tech you know brand new axis and tell me how old the chain is on your race bike or when was the last time you swapped over a pair of running shoes or had a massage and i think that's where maybe we do get bedazzled by the latest innovation and people forget about the bread and butter of day-to-day training but i think and also you, you overlook you know, articles that are there for you to read, there for you to learn. And I know you can pick the bones out of everything now and just go, well, is that true? Is that right? But, you know, certain kind of medical um, studies that come out, regardless of whether it's compression or, you know, practising um, breathing, encouraging your your kind of intercostal muscles is, is you know, I've read... I read a special word, that yeah, was. I've read a, a couple of articles now on... on you didn't really. Asthma. Basically, kind oh, of asthma, asthma, um, asthma, and I know there's been loads of there's been loads of not negative press. I think any anything to do with asthma that that, that raises the profile yes. of it is good. Um, more work, more work. Not going to say um, by the way. Whatever. Um, more work's you going into it. Um, it's like life of Brian. He did it again. So, pff, I think we need to look at less of the. The, the tech stuff is what keeps me in shoes and underpants. So I can't, I can't not knock it. But there's certain other things when people come in that you can put them a bit more to the right path. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, it's maybe, a combination of both. It's yeah. the bread and butter stuff and it's the esoterics on top of it. Yeah. So it, it's, it is, there's nothing fundamental at the minute that has leapt forwards. Yeah. And but, I think I'll bring this in. This was, this was a, this was, I think this was a, Instagram post we're getting it all now and this is from Eric Downey I coached Eric uh, for two or three years recently and I'd coached him about five six seven eight years before that and he he sent something and he said this is not really a question but a thought for the day so obviously we started a whole new theme here Um, as some people don't like zone one training Embrace zone one by training with some club mates you would not normally train with. You can offer advice as you run, cycle to to less experienced club mates. Win-win to all. And I think that's so Brilliant. true. It, it, and Lanzarote was the prime example for for myself, especially. You know, I, I, I get to ride with a lot of lovely people, everybody. I could ride with everybody if we wanted to. Particular group that... I was riding in or with, 
um, they just, they were going, I bet it's boring for you, isn't it? And I was like, no, why? Well, I suppose you can go a lot faster than this. I think, yes, yeah, I can, well, I can go a lot faster than this, but that's not bit. the point. <laughs> yeah, only a touch into the wind. <laughs> I said, that's not the point. I said, you know, I, I, get, to, I get to help you guys. Mm. I get to talk to you guys and ride around and have a laugh and a giggle at certain things. It, 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 oh, it must be boring. It's not boring no, for me. It's, no. And it, it would be for everybody that comes and helps that maybe are, are riding a, a group or two groups lower than they would do. And it's not a group thing. It's not a tier thing. No. You know, I just really enjoy getting to meet people and having a natter and a chat about how what they do at night, you know, what they do during the day work-wise, how their work patterns, training animals it doesn't you know it's just loads of things you know, that you get to talk to when normally you're out on a group run and you're just yeah. head down yeah. pushing on the pedals thinking you're getting your your kind of gains from this whereas i get more to gain personally from that so eric's absolutely bang on with that that's what that's what they should have that kind of thing in every club yeah where you know maybe one person is gb level like oh would you, would you like to come and come and run down but not oh, all yeah. not all not all talented or quicker athletes are necessarily able to communicate to other people and understand that it's not that they're not trying they just haven't got the legs or the arms or the fitness to do it and there are some people that don't understand that as if well why can't you go quicker I'm getting really frustrated there are people that like yourself that can easily find that you just get on with people and it's not about well come on let's go quicker it's about just you know kind of being being in the moment with what you're doing and that's why people do it. And the fact that there's different levels of ability, well, everyone on the planet now is slower than uh, Mr. Campanets, um because nobody else has done 55 kilometres in a conventional position. And there was only two people that broke that before. So it's kind of like, you can always say, oh, well, there's people that are quicker than me. Or, oh, as some, as some person once said to me, actually several times said to me, I want I want you to coach me, but I'm not trying to win. And it's like, well, you know what? You might, but it's not really down to me whether you do. Let's see what we can do with this. Well, it depends what people's finish line and winning yeah. is. Well, it's, and, as, and as Eric said, you know, the win can be the fact that other people gain from it. You're still staying in zone one. Sometimes if it's bike related you may have to have more clothes on because you're going at a lower percentage therefore you can actually get cold and other people are working hard and you're getting cold so you may have to not perhaps at this point in the uk but it's still possible to not take into account that you may be going a lot slower but my tip for that is if you go out with a group that maybe you don't ride at a speed that you're you're used to and you're getting cold as an not an excuse that sounds really bad but Ride up to the top of the hill quite hard. You know the group's coming up and just take photographs. Yeah. You know, give give yourself something as far as, right, I'll meet you guys at the top of the hill. I'll take some photographs halfway up or three quarters of the way up or you guys browse, you know, browing. So just take your time however you come up. And then, you know, they don't have to stop for you. They can they can pedal on. You can pop your phone away, have something to eat, something to drink, pop yeah. on your bike and, and catch yeah. them back up. At least you then worked up a little bit of, of, of body temperature. And I find that works quite nicely as well, because at the end, people are quite happy to, to give you kind of email addresses if you haven't met them before or you don't know them or, or happy to give you kind of phone numbers or you can share it by 
airdrop, etc., etc., which is what I really enjoyed at um, at Lanzarote is is you know particular groups that that, that we crossed paths with. I could yeah. kind of quickly shoot up the hill, take a few photographs of the people mm. riding up. I struggled to catch most of them. If I was honest. So and then then share them out when we get get down to have dinner and things like that. So yeah. again, you get to meet and talk to people in the group that maybe you haven't met yeah. or in another group that you haven't got, gotten to ride with. So you know, make an excuse to be be that person that that wants to help out and wants to give advice yeah yeah and then you, you are giving back and if you're part of the if you're part of the solution i.e you say i'm not going to go too hard i don't need to go hard why should i go hard this is fine you stay in zone one i know i'll be in zone one that's fine you know um on to the next question which i'm gonna have a pretty quick reply to this because i think it's something that's difficult to, to, to <laughs> you're just gonna go no 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 <laughs> I would be really interested to hear your thoughts and ideas for post-ride recovery uh, products, stretches, foam rolling, if possible. And this is from uh, Paul Rides. I don't know whether his surname's Rides or just Paul Rides because he rides his bike. Um, the first thing about recovery is, you know, post-ride recovery, one of the best things is just to be not thinking about your training and to just let your body relax and not be over analyzing sitting in front of the computer going back over everything do the training at the time and then be able to switch off yes you need to sometimes consider some people really need to work on post-ride flexibility they may need foam rollering they might have specific stretches that they've been told to by a physio but i think seek out a physio stroke masseuse or somebody that can identify for you what your weak links are because most people don't need to whack a recovery drink down, be foam rolling for an hour and do massive amounts of stretches every time they train, okay? Some people quite like that, but it's not essential for everybody. And I've seen some um, potential research which suggests you know, really hard foam rolling may be detrimental. The same as stretching too much can actually lead to people actually aggravating their flexibility and range of movement and not improving it and if you don't need massive flexibility you've got to think why am I stretching so I think you seek professional help as to what's the things I need to do and your stretch might be different to mine I might not need foam rolling I sit in a really hot bath you need to foam roller because your muscles go tighter and you sometimes find that they get worse so I don't think you can answer that without saying what's the individual's thoughts on how to recover the best way to you know to recover is to you know let your body do what it's really good at which is relaxing the muscles storing the glycogen you switching off and just getting on with your life and and subsequently not trying to add on more and more your body's remarkably adaptive there is no secret thing that will let people you know recover back to the zone one that helps people recover because it's doable on a repeated basis even from harder intensity work you recover better if you do more of it and you might find that on top of that, yes, a bit of uh, foam rolling from time to time on certain muscles you may need, but I don't know what they are. And a physio that's come up with the muscles that are always your problematic muscles will be able to point you as towards what you do, how you do it, whether you need a massage, you know, whether you need to do deep water running more often than you go running it's or whatever. Ridiculous. <laughs> okay but it's a good question but i think it's like you know don't don't overthink it get professional help and i think also the preparation for your recovery is important so you go to start your session and go ah but when i get in it's going to take me 40 minutes to do this and get the bike sorted and, and, and then kind of get my swim kit out and got to drive back where yeah 
get it ready. Get it ready so when you walk in that door, it's there. Yeah. So it's whether it be protein recovery, whether it be compression, get the compression on as soon as you finish your sport. I mean, what I tend to do is I do the session, I get in, I have recovery, I have my compression socks, they go on with compression tights, put my clothes on, and Lovely. then I can do, I'm free to do whatever. Lovely image. It's, it's horrendous. Yeah. It's horrendous. I look a middle-aged Power Ranger. <laughs> Moving on, quickly, quickly, really quickly. Um, 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 get that, Get that thought out of your mind, listeners. Please do. Uh, this is from uh, Rob Grund- Gundry. Sorry, not Grundy, Gundry. Or it might be Gundry if he sell- says it, uh, pronounces it slightly different. And he says, hi. In a sprint triathlon, non-drafting, so this means when you get out of the swim, you can't sit on somebody's wheel. You have to ride like a time trial with nobody right in front of you. What heart rate zone should I be in? I think the thing is with a sprint triathlon is there isn't too much time to be thinking about what is going on numbers-wise. That is for a standard race, though there isn't standard in sprint try. You're talking something around, you know, it should be 12, you know, 0.4 miles, but there's plenty that are 14 or 11 point whatever. Many of them might be actually pool-based swims. Some will be open water. So there's not one definition. But heart rate zone, the thing is, you're working for possibly an hour to an hour 30, depending on the person's ability. You're on the bike for something like 30 to 45 minutes. And you're running about three miles. So you don't you don't want to be absolutely flat out like it's a 12-mile time trial. But at the same time, it's not so long that you have to overly pace yourself. You've got to be at that point where you're... You're, you're pushing, but you're relaxed. You cannot be. I've seen people going the other way in sprint triathlons and they are fighting the bike or they're coming out of the swim and they're already like done in. And actually, as with any event, you have to build through that event. You can't be flat out in the swim and be huffing and puffing and dragging yourself barely out of the water because what you gain in going too hard has now been lost by looking like a beached whale trying to get out of the swimming pool because you just cannot barely pick yourself up out of the water, open water or in a swimming pool. So what heart rate zone? Well, you kind of build through the event and on the bike you're relaxed, you're not puffing and panting like it's your last effort because that will translate to a slower run. So you've got to be Concentrating on the aero, being very, very relaxed. You're you're pushing along above training pace, clearly. You're probably bouncing just into low zone two, but you're not in low zone two. You're just feeling, is lactate building up or am I keeping it under control? And and low zone two, it's not building up. Okay, upper zone two and into zone three, lactate is building up. And that's when you see people fighting the bike like mad. And they're now putting themselves in. Firstly, they've got to slow down at some point because that lactate is building up and it will eventually shut you down. However motivated you are, it will shut you down and you have to like literally grind to a a big halt. Plus, if you go too hard too late in that um, sprint triathlon, you then take so much like... um, like blown up quads and and high lactate and breathing rate might be totally you sound like a hyperventilating donkey as you come into transition you're going to take a mile plus to actually get into your running 
you've only got three miles. So that's a third of the race is gone on foot at least. So you relax towards the end of the sprint try, which means heart rate is, is dropping down now. You're staying air, you're relaxing, you're loosening your legs off, you're giving the classic like twiddle. You're not pushing hard, you're twiddling. So the heart rate zone's bouncing all over the place. And I think when people are looking at numbers, they are not racing. Racing is, could I go a bit faster based on where I am at the moment? When you get through the run, you can obviously take that heart rate up progressively higher. But so many people have already done their best effort on the bike. They get onto the run and it's like a death march. It really is not a progressive increase where they get off, relax, and they start to get into their running and try and accelerate. They get off, they start running, and they stay at the same speed because they've gone too hard on the bike. So I think listen to your body, be, be not looking at a number on your heart rate monitor and try and make sense of it. It could be hot, it could be cold, you could be slightly like, um, uh, not dehydrated, but just have a higher core temperature because you've started this sprint try at 11 o'clock, it's been a really hot morning and your heart rate's up straight away. So you can't tell what those numbers are. And I think if you listen to your body, it's a short enough distance with a small amount of fuel. If, if there's quick enough courses, I won't even take anything on board because if you're doing, I don't know, hour five, hour 10, you don't need to take anything on board a little bit before you swim and then you hammer it for an hour Okay, but if you're taking an hour 30, you probably need to take stuff in on the bike, but not be staring at your heart rate monitor. Also, a watch. I mean, I wear I wear a watch GPS records heart rate power. Everything. So you don't have to stand like you said, sit there and stare at it. Yeah. Just just record what you want to record. And then at the end, yeah. you can have a look at it. Yeah. And just be go, feeling, oh, maybe I could have, yeah, maybe I could have gone a bit harder there. I actually felt all right. And normally two weeks down the line, you think you could have gone harder everywhere, which yeah. isn't the case no, at all. No, it's but, not. At the time, you're um, racing, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. So I would, I would say it's handy to record it, but you don't need to be a slave to it because mm. ultimately, you know, in your power test that you could hold mm. 330 watts, but you've got on the bike and gone, oh, I don't feel too clever today. And, and is three, you're 300 watt, you're on 300 watts. There's no point in you then trying to bash your head against a brick wall to get the 330 out yeah. as an average on the ride to only then get on the, like you said, get onto the run and just, well, you might as well have crawled around pretty much because you've gone too hard. If you're a slave to the figures... There's not going to be many doing 330 on the bike in a sprint try. No. <laughs> well, the, if you're a slave to the figures, yeah. then all that happens is you can't adapt. You won't adapt. And no. that's why you should always look, listen to your body. Yeah. Because at some point, you are going to have to because yeah. the figures aren't matching yeah. your, and you, your expectations. Your course might have bits where uphill, don't go too hard on the uphill, but, but if it's early on on the bike, you can regulate a bit more effort because you could spin out and your legs don't even notice it. If that uphill happens very late on the bike leg, then you've got to soft pedal it because otherwise you could completely blow your legs up. And what you what you think you've just gained by going up a hill hard, if you've ever measured it, it's quite a small amount. Yeah. You'll lose that in the first mile. I, I guarantee you'll probably lose it in the first 400 metres. So you've got to be on that on that edge. But the only place really where you can start to go into the red is on the run. You can't, you know, you can have a solid swim to bike, but you've got to finish off with the run. And if in the run segment, you're already paying back overdoing it early on you don't get the best result you've still got to carry yourself 3.1 miles and if you've overcooked it and i've tried it various ways if you've overcooked it you cannot get the run that you've got before and then you look back and go yeah it was all about trying to go into the red too much on the bike and when you when you're when you're racing you don't need to be puffing and panting and blowing you just are relaxed but going quickly and that means that then you get to the run and you can be relaxed through transition. You can go, you know, and, and still it's a, you know, it's a good four, 
six, eight hundred meters before your legs come to, but at least you can start running and not go, oh, I'm trying to run like I've just smashed myself on the bike. Oh yeah, I did just smash myself on the bike. That's why it's not going to work. So I think don't look at your heart monitor, Rob. Um, just feel your way through the race. You won't be far off by listening to your body. And as it's a race, it's more a case of people not doing the classic that they say afterwards, which is, yeah, probably went a bit too fast early on. If you're not doing it fast early on, great, because you'll be able to do it later on. Yeah. We've got one more question. Cool. Um, sort of question, sort of, but it probably works back to stuff we said earlier. This is from somebody on, again, it's on Instagram. Ooh. And this is cons. somebody called The Tri Father, and he said, uh, role modelling... Good oh, rest- hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Role- <laughs> read, read that one, proofread it first. <laughs> no. Role modelling, good testing during adaptation week. Okay. What is, uh, which is a new experience, being a recent convert to block training, thanks at Coach Joe Beer and podcasts, etc. Et so I think what he's saying is he's looking at an adaptation week and then seeing that this idea of putting training into blocks which is what we talked about earlier allows you to train for a certain period of time and then one week a month back off whether you're doing Ironman whether you're doing 5k running whether you're a mountain biker or whether you you know do a few um you know long sportives it's better to build and then give your body a planned adaptation week it's not recovery it's adapting you do reduce the volume but you still do some training. But you also don't set a volume because you do whatever it takes that week to adapt. And if you've got very, very tired, you do less in that week and you forget about it as being a volume thing. You've done three weeks thinking about the numbers and then one week thinking about the sensation of, am I ready for the next three weeks? I think you hit the nail on the head a while ago when you were talking about the adaptation, the adaptation week. Yeah. No ums. You... People really? that yeah, people that start to do the hard stuff. You see the form coming on. They want to do more and more and more. I've bypassed the adaptation week. Yeah, and they do a bit more, a bit more, more. And then normally the people you go, oh, I just, I just lost the drive to do it. You lost yeah. the drive to do it because you are knackered. Yeah. So the adaptation week is there for you to go. I feel really guilty. What well, we all do it, By and Thursday. I say this every By time. Thursday. We all do it. And we go. I feel really guilty. Why well, I haven't got to do a lot this week? What do you yeah. mean you haven't got to do a lot? Well, it's kind of. Rest week. It's been rest week. Like, right, well, I feel like I should go out. The weather's been really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the well, weather's nice. Why don't you go sit in the garden? No, I can't sit in the garden. And I, 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 am, I am that prime person. I am that person that does it going, yeah, it's supposed to be a quiet week, but oh, I could go out. Trails are dry. Go out on the mountain bike. There's hardly anybody about. E-bike. But, no, e-bike. Just yes, to, just well, this, jump is, in. this is what I mean. E-bike yeah. would be okay because you could go out, as somebody said to me recently, I, you know, I used a, an e-bike. I was able to ride. I felt like I did nothing. My average heart rate wasn't even three figures. But it was fun. I got out. And you do want to make sure on the adaptation week that you do, you know, you do still enjoy stuff because, who knows, the, the first week back could be a hell of a week and then you don't get much training done. But you cannot say either Wednesday or Thursday oh I'm feeling so good and that's the thing I get sometimes by text oh I'm feeling so good can I do extra this weekend like no because unless we're sort you know unless you know that the following weekend is going to be blocked out which you can always move it around a few days 
Don't do it just now because you feel good. That feel good factor has got to last for three weeks. Or this could be the last time you do a feel good factor because you're going into a really big block. Four, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So and it is it is prime. It is the prime thing that people just go, well, you know, I could just, I just felt like I could do it. Yeah. Weather was great. Weather so was I great. So I, I went out some, and did some extra. So what did you do? Well, I went out. I only jogged. I only jogged. And then you, you look at the... The, the heart rate and you go I wasn't just jogging I said like, oh, but I yeah. felt so good and yeah. I just rode the bike I just went out and you know had a beautiful ride around yeah the figures don't say that the figures no. didn't just have a beautiful ride around so that's not an adaptation week what you've done is chucked in an extra week of training and we all do it it's the guilty mm. pleasure well this, this chap you know, this chap the tri-father says you know it's a new experience, being a recent convert to, to, to blocking training. And lots of people talk about or have heard the, you know, the, the, the I was going to say the mesomorphs, the, um, uh, the, the block training, the um, mesocycles and microcycles and That's all right. these like tiny subdivisions. No, keep it simple. Body works on 28 day cycle, do 21 days training, seven days of adaptation. And it's not always going to run exactly to plan but it's a better idea to have seven out of 28 where you think you're going to back off than think oh it's going going well again this week i'm just going to keep going the hardest conversations i have are are those when you've got to kind of put the reins in on somebody and say this is what you've got to do you've got to back off they'll find it out later on going oh, that works that's a genius it's like i know but it's counterintuitive for you to think yeah i could be doing more say so don't do it don't do it you're better to capitalize and, and actually absorb what you've done than risk oh no just do the fifth week because then the fifth week puts you out of kilter so good good um kind of comment the try father and get back to us and give us more questions but sadly we've come to the end <gasps> again again and we want more questions there's still a few more for next time so that's good but we do appreciate every question send them in through well now we're getting instagram twitter facebook all email, kinds of angles it's coming at us text Oof. Contact through coachjobeer.com. You could even go through South Fork Racing or at South Fork Racing on Twitter or at coachjobeer on Twitter. And yeah, thank you for downloading and listening, passing this on to people and giving us your questions. It's nice to have a, a, a real good range of questions. It'd be nice to get some different ones that don't talk about exactly the same subjects. And there are some coming up, which will be good. But um, don't forget to listen to 167 and 166 on the podcast. I'm not on it. I think you are. Oh, 167, I'm not. Oh, okay. Thanks, Ian, mate. <laughs> <laughs> not that bitter. So, peace, my friends. Have fun. Enjoy your racing and your training. And we'll be back in about a month. Happy Easter. That's all right. You can say that. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.